Today we are continuing our series, You Do You. And over the last few weeks, we have really been looking at the subject of identity, specifically self-awareness and how we perceive ourselves validates and demonstrates what we perceive and believe about who God is. And I think we've established pretty solidly over the last few weeks that our identity really determines everything else in our lives, determines what we think and how we think. It determines what we do, what we say, who we trust, what we pursue. All of those things flow out of the identity and how closely we chase the identity that God has planted deep within us. But what if, what if our perception of ourself, what if our, our perceive-a-meter is a little bit off or, or maybe even a little, a lot off, what happens then if we're living out of a mistaken identity? One night when I was in college here at the University of Texas, I came home from a date and I got home, you know, fairly college early, about 11, 11, 15, and I walked in the house I was sharing with a couple of guys and they weren't home yet. And so I, I just poured myself a big bowl of cereal and pulled up to Sports Center because that's what you do. And I was just kind of chilling out, enjoying the quiet, when all of a sudden there was a, a fairly forceful and authoritative knock on the front door. It kind of startled me a little, and I put Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann on mute and went to the front door, and I kind of peered through the peephole, and standing on the front step of this house was one of Austin's finest, a, a police officer. And so I was kind of like, whoa. So I, I opened the door and I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, sir, I have a question for you, if you don't mind my asking. Have you been home all night tonight? I said, no. No, sir. I said, I had a date. I just got home. My roommates aren't home, so I'm, I'm here by myself. He said, do you have any identification on you? I said, yes, sir. And I pulled out my wallet, handed him my driver's license, and he kind of looked it over and he kind of looked me over. He said, Mr. Richard, could I ask you to come with me for a moment and, and help me clear a situation up? Now, at this point, I became a little unsettled. And I, and I did. I tried to not be disrespectful about it, but I really was checking out his badge to make sure that it was legit. You know what I'm saying? So I look at it, and it looks pretty good. And I said, officer, I'd be happy to help any way that I can. Do you mind my asking what this is about? And he goes, no, I don't mind at all. We've got a situation around the corner that we're trying to kind of get straightened out. And if you could help me, I'd really appreciate it. I said, sure, I'll come. So we walked out the door. I closed it behind me. We went out and got in his car. I got to ride in the, in the cruiser, front seat. I was riding in the front seat. <laughs> and uh, I, I reached over to turn on the siren, and he hit my hand away. He said, don't touch that. <clears throat> I'm just kidding, not really. And we went around the corner and went down the street that I knew was a dead-end street. It had a chain-link fence, but as we got to the end of it and his headlights hit the end of the street, I could tell that the chain-link fence had been knocked down and on the other side of the fence was a big open field, and there were tire tracks into the middle of this field, and we went over what used to be the chain link fence and got out there, and there was a complete squadron of squad cars 
with all of their headlights and all of their cue beams trained on this one little car in the middle of the field. It, it was a Datsun. You young kids call those Nissan, but this was a Datsun. And, <clears throat> and I could tell in the passenger side door, it was open, there was a, a girl, probably college age, she looked like, just sitting there. And she was sitting there and had her head in her hands and her hair was kind of falling down around. You could tell she was distraught about something. And the officer said, Mr. Richard, wait right here. I said, yes, sir. He got out of the car and he went over to where the young girl was sitting in the passenger seat car and I saw him lean down and say something to her and then he came back to my side of the passenger window and he trained that big cop flashlight on me, blinded me. I was like, and, and, and I saw her out of the corner of my blinded eye. She looked up and she goes, that's not him. And inside I'm thinking, no, I'm not him. I don't know who him is, but I'm not. And he went back, and he, he came back around to, the, to his side of the car, and he got back in, and he started to take me home. He said, Mr. Richard, I'm so sorry about the inconvenience. I said, first of all, you and I are friends now. It's Richard. But go ahead. And he said, he said what happened was uh, this car, as you could tell, crashed through the chain link fence and skidded out, and the driver left this poor girl in the middle of the field, and he just ran and fled the scene. But it was about the time, apparently, you were coming home because one of your neighbors told us that they saw the guy running into your house. And I said, which one told you that? <laughs> I said, first of all, the date went really well. I was walking in the house. I wasn't running away from anything. And he said, I understand that. Obviously, it wasn't you, so thank you for your help. And again, we apologize for the inconvenience. Hope you have a lovely evening. Now, it's one thing to be mistakenly identified when you're walking in the front door of your house. And just for the record, it's more than a little bit unsettling and unnerving to have a police officer knock on your door at 11 o'clock at night. But how much more tragic would it be? How much more devastating would the consequences be if we were to live out our entire lives with a mistaken identity? If we were to miss what God had planted deep within the soil of our soul when he formed us and knit us together in our mother's womb, and instead of validating and demonstrating that identity, we instead, because of a mistaken identity, invalidate and fail to demonstrate who God created us to be. Now, throughout this series, we've used the life of Moses in particular, but also the, the nation of Israel as kind of a, a focus, if you will, to look at how God plays out identity in people's lives. And we've seen over and over again how Moses had incredible moments, what we call kind of identity crisis moments, going back to the very beginning when God called him to lead Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And we said, remember, that a, a crisis is not necessarily a bad thing. A crisis is just a crossroads. It can get better or it can get worse, but it can be a really positive thing. And for Moses, it was a positive thing there at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. It was where Moses began to step up and to step into who God had created him to be and what he had called Moses to do. And it was a great thing. But today we're going to find an incredible story in the nation of Israel's chronicles, in the history of Israel that is a completely different kind of identity crisis. And at this identity crisis, 
Israel, rather than stepping up and stepping into, actually sinks to an H&L. I'm not talking about a whole nother level that we've talked about many times before, but this instead is a whole new low. Because in this identity crisis moment, Israel completely forgets and abandons who God has created them and called them to be. If you've got your Bibles or maybe on your phone, look at Numbers chapter number 13. Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And in, X, in, I'm sorry, in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, we find Israel at a crisis point moment. And before we get into Numbers 13 and 14, let's just kind of review what Israel has seen God do so far. We, we know by Numbers chapter 13 that they have escaped 430 years of Egyptian slavery. They saw God visit the plagues on the nation of Egypt and motivate Pharaoh to let them go. They saw God give them escape from the most powerful military on the planet when Pharaoh changed his mind and sent his army and chariots after them. The nation of Israel crossed through on dry ground of the Red Sea and then saw the waters miraculously come back and take out Pharaoh's army. We know that when they got into the wilderness away from Egypt and they had no food, they had no water, they saw God provide manna and quail every single day to meet their physical needs for food. He saw them, they saw God provide water out of a rock when they were thirsty. They, they've seen God deliver to Moses face-to-face -face the Ten Commandments, those, those ten principles and laws for how God operates and how to interact in a relationship with him. And so over and over again, they've seen God's faithfulness when they didn't know what he was going to do or how he was going to do it. They've seen him continue to step up and fulfill his promises to them. And in Numbers chapter 13, Israel is at a critical juncture because Moses is preparing Israel to occupy the promised land. The promised land that he had promised in covenant with Abram, who became Abraham about 500 years earlier. Moses sees that they are now on the threshold of taking the promised land, and so he assembles a team of 12, one representative from each of the 12, tri 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he gathers them together and essentially commissions them as Israelite Navy SEALs to go in and spy out the country. He says these 12 are to enter under the cover of darkness and bring back a reconnaissance report. What is the land like? What is the harvest like? What are the people like? Are they strong? Are they weak? Are they warriors? Are they farmers? I want to know everything that there is to know about the inhabitants of the promised land and the promised land itself. And these 12 spies go out and they are blown away by what they discover. They, they bring back clusters of grapes. Grapes so big, they're, they're more like grapefruit. They're so big. And, and they come back and, and they say, man, this place is amazing. It really is the land of milk and honey. It's unbelievable. But it's at that point that there becomes a division in the report. Two of the spies, Joshua, whom we'll get to know better, and ends up succeeding Moses. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, man, this place is unbelievable. Let's go. God has promised it to us. Let's claim his promise. Let's accept it and go conquer this land. But the 10 other spies, the 10 other spies who, by the way, 
Their names are forgotten to history. But Joshua and Caleb, we remember, the ten other spies have a completely different perspective on occupying the promised land from Joshua and Caleb. And in Numbers chapter 13, I want you to look at verses 32 and 33 as you, as you start to understand where this is coming from and more importantly, where it's going. Verse 32, so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people saw, all the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. Isn't that amazing? They saw the exact same thing that Joshua and Caleb saw. They had the exact same experience, but their perspective on that same experience was 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Now, there, there are a couple of immutable laws of human nature that are at work here. Number one, I want you to notice how negativity spreads like a virus. Isn't that the truth? Now, don't, don't point at anybody because hopefully you're not sitting next to them, but have you ever noticed how negative people love to make other people negative too? They do. They love to grumble all the time. They spread this bad. It wasn't enough that they felt bad about it. They wanted to make sure everybody else felt bad about it too. The second thing that I want you to notice is that negativity always exaggerates the problem. Negativity always exaggerates the problem. What did they say? We felt like grasshoppers. <laughs> we felt like grasshoppers. They thought we were grasshoppers. We thought they were grasshoppers. It's terrible. We're grasshoppers. <laughs> now, we can kind of laugh about that, but I mean, the fact of the matter is, you and I know people. Maybe you work with somebody or heaven help you if you live with somebody who has a grasshopper mentality. Real quickly, I want you to turn to the person you walked in the door with that you like and tell them with joy, passion, and enthusiasm, you ain't no grasshopper. And it's not grasshopper. It's grasshopper. Ah, grasshopper. You ain't no grasshopper. You see, we have a choice to make. Just like those 12 spies had a choice to make. The Bible never says that there weren't any giants living in the land. There were some giants in the land. There, there were some hard battles to come for Israel. But you can either choose to be a grasshopper or a giant killer. You have that choice. I have that choice. And it all comes back to our identity. But remember, our identity is rooted in God. Remember that God says who you are. He says who I am. And here's the principle, that how you see God determines how you see you. How you see God determines how you see you. Joshua and Caleb remembered that God had said, you will take the promised land. I will give you the promised land. You are my chosen people. You are my special bride. I will give this to you. 
You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to fight for it. But it will be yours. But the other ten forgot. They forgot what God had promised. They forgot what God had said about who he was and who they are. And when they forgot who God said they were, they began to adopt that grasshopper posture. You see, the problem is, too many times in life, we accept what other people say about who we are rather than what God says about who we are. God says in his word, by virtue of the fact that we are created in his image, we are valuable beyond measure because of him. The book of Psalms says, O Lord, who is man? Who is humanity? Who are people that you are mindful of them? That God is mindful of you and me. He's made us just a little, little, just a little lower than the angels. That's what God says about you. God says that you are fearfully and wonderfully, you are awesomely made, created, knit together in your mother's womb, that God knew you before you ever, ever came to be. That's what God says about who you are. That's what God says about who I am. So it doesn't matter what our neighbors say about who we are when we're walking in our house at 11 o'clock at night. What matters is what God says about who we are. And God says you are valuable beyond measure. But you know, a lot of times we hear different messages. A lot of times we, we hear, maybe even when we're young, from, from well-meaning people in our lives. Why can't you be more like your sister? Well, you know, you're, you're just going to have to work to keep the weight off more than most. And, and they seem like innocuous, harmless comments, but a lot of times, especially as kids, they can, they can kind of sit down and anchor down in our soul and, and stay there for a while. Something like, well, you are just like your father, and that's not a compliment. Or, you know, you always blow up. You, you've always had an anger problem. And after a while, if we're not careful, if we're not allowing our minds to be transformed and renewed by the Word of God on a regular basis, we start to believe those things. Those things become our identity. Those things become the reality or the perception of reality that we operate out of. And we adopt a grasshopper mentality instead of a giant killer mentality. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what victories you walked in here carrying today and celebrating. I don't know what challenges or, or burdens or, or battles you may be fighting even now. Maybe things are just kind of copacetic and, and equilibrium is set in. That's cool. But I do know this. Hang out a little while and you'll be fighting a giant at some point. You, you just spend a little more time in this old world and there will be a giant that will show up on your doorstep. There will be an opportunity for you to fight through and decide whether you're going to approach that battle or that giant as a grasshopper or a giant killer. And it all goes back to how you see God. Did God make you? Did God create you? And does God love you beyond words and measure, unconditionally, as is right here, right now? That's going to be the determining factor in how you see yourself. And 
the nation of Israel, these, these ten spies had, had forgotten that. See, here, here's the principle. Grasshoppers look around. The grasshoppers look around and see how other people, how they think other people see them. Giant killers look up. Giant killers say, God, what do you say? God, what is your version of the truth? Because I want that to be my version of the truth. Because God, as creator, as king of kings and lord of lords, God gets to decide what's real because he made everything, because he has set up this world and determines what's true. And so that's not something that I get to decide arbitrarily based on what's convenient for me, based on what I think, what I like, or what I've read. God says what's true. God says what's real. And what God says about you and what he says about me is what we ought to live our lives out of. Rather than like the grasshoppers who go, well, they thought we were grasshoppers. She thought I wasn't smart enough. He thought I was too heavy. She did all that. All of those voices creating so much clatter and chatter in our lives, distracting us from who God created us to be. Now, we could spend a lot of time, and, and we've already kind of done this, but I, I want to I shift gears a little bit and jump into Numbers chapter 14. Because remember, Joshua and Caleb did not go with the flow of the ten. Joshua and Caleb went, and you must be out your mind. Joshua and Caleb looked at the report of the ten, and, and basically when they all said we're grasshoppers, Joshua and Caleb said to them this, ain't nobody got time for that. We're giant killers. God has said we are giant killers. Look at what they said over in Numbers chapter 14. They said to all the people of Israel, these are leaders, Joshua and Caleb, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Isn't that interesting? Do not rebel against the Lord. Isn't it interesting that, that they equate fear with rebellion? Don't fear, don't, don't rebel against the Lord, but, but rather Believe that if God is with us, if he is pleased with us, fear and rebellion, fear and sin, which if you remember in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that God is love and perfect love, like God's, drives out fear. When, when we understand that God loves us perfectly and unconditionally and eternally, no matter what, then what do we have to fear? If Jesus the ultimate expression of God's love, died on a cross and rose again. And in his resurrection, he defeated death and he subdued sin. What battle are you fighting? What giant is bigger than that? Jesus has already established his authority. He's already established his power. He rose from the dead, Jack. So when we understand that, when we 
experience that, when we live in that, we have nothing to be afraid of that's greater than Jesus. This is the message of the gospel. This is what Jesus died and rose again for us to not only understand intellectually, but to live out experientially, to know and to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so, yeah, we're going to be giant killers. We're not going to live like grasshoppers. You, you've got a problem with your three-year-old? First of all, get in line. Second of all, Jesus is bigger. You, 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 got, a, you got a strong-willed child? <laughs> hey, strong-willed kids are a blessing. Challenge and a blessing. Those are not mutually exclusive. You're having, you're, having, you're having some marital problems? So, so you got married and 8, 9, 10, 18 years in, it's not all perfect? Jesus is bigger than that. You, what about work? Do you, do you have problems at work? I don't. I'm a pastor. Pastors have no problems. Of course you have. God is the God of of the giant killers. It's what he does. It's who he, it's who he is. And the Bible tells us that in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. We are more than because of Christ. Not because we're great, special, handsome, or strong, or beautiful, or smart, but because of who he is. And so we adopt the mentality of the giant killer. You see, how you see you determines what you do and who you do it with. You know, I, we love grasshopper people. We love people who adopt the grasshopper posture and mentality. We do. But I ain't going to hang out with them. I'm not going to be one of them. I'm sure Sure not going to date one of them if I'm, if I'm not married. If I am married, I'm not dating anybody besides my wife. But if I'm not married, grasshopper people have missed who God created them to be. They are living in a mistaken identity. See, grasshopper people whine and complain. Giant killer people trust, and conquer. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. This is who he's called us to be. This is what the gospel message is about. And so in the middle of summertime, we go to the word of God. We go to scripture not just out of a habit and, and, and a pattern, but we do it because we trust Scripture. We trust God more than we trust ourselves. And, and we see, yeah, it's interesting what Moses and Israel went through, and, and there's some in, interesting information to know there, but ultimately, this is about a pattern and a paradigm that God has called us to live and to follow. We don't just read Scripture. We want Scripture to read us. And to allow that to, 
to permeate every single part of our lives and to, to radiate out. Because that's what God's created us for. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to ask you two questions for you to prayerfully consider right now. Do you lean more often than not grasshopper or giant killer? Do you lean? Do you tend more grasshopper or giant killer? Because the calling of God is obvious. It's obvious and unmistakable. We are called to a giant killer existence. And, and maybe for you, if, if you are in that grasshopper category more often than not, maybe this is an opportunity to confess that and to ask God to grow your faith in who he is. And as a result of that, to grow your faith in who he's called you to be. But the second question is the linchpin for the whole thing. Have you chosen to follow Jesus? Have you chosen to live in relationship with him? To respond to his grace initiative and accept what he did on the cross and in the resurrection for yourself personally. If you're here today and you've never done that, we want to give you the opportunity to do so right now. To pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of surrender. to the God who is powerful enough to convert your surrender into victory. If that's you, just pray right where you're sitting silently. Just talk to God and just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin. I claim your forgiveness. And beginning right now, I will follow you with everything I have. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment, a holy moment. And if that was your prayer, I want, you to, I want you to know a couple of things. First of all, this is the greatest moment of your life. And as a church, we want to help move from this moment into what's next, into what God has for you. That's our blessing. That's our privilege and responsibility as a church. And so 
if you would just take the program that you got when you came in today and fill out that connect card that's in that program your name and contact information and about halfway down that card there's a spot there that says I'm committing my life to Christ today or this week if you would just take that and, and indicate that and tear it off at the perforation and before you leave today just hand that card to one of our ushers and just tell them hey today was my day just make that personal connection and that'll begin a conversation that we can have to, to help you and also where you can help us we need you and we want to be a family of faith we want to be a safe place for you and the second thing I want to ask if you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant it as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed would you just raise your hand just raise your hand and hold it up high for just a moment as you stamp this moment in your life. You stamp it in your life and you stamp this moment in the life of this church. Because this moment in your life is why we exist. It's why we get up, it's why we pray, it's why we give, it's why we serve, it's, it's why we're here. And so as a church, we honor that, we celebrate it in your life and as you put your hands down, we put our hands together just to tell you welcome home. Welcome home.